Discovery. On Discovery? More Discovery. Discovery is on the air right now, so watch the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Into the Wormhole with Larissa and Lauren. I'm Larissa Maestro, your captain, and here with me, as always, is my number one. Oh, I thought you were going to say my name. It's Lauren. Howdy, everyone. <laughs> Howdy from the Space Cowboy. Uh, we have a really exciting episode today, but before we get into that, I need to tell you both something, which is really important, and to everyone listening, I just started watching... Murder, she wrote again. And let me tell you, there are just Star Trek cast members in this show all the fucking time. <laughs> and I'm losing my mind. And I needed everyone to know this. Like, literally, like Kate Mulgrew, Renee Abergenois, LeVar Burton. But then also, like, the guy that played Worf's adoptive brother, the guy that played Janeway's dad in that one episode. Gene fucking Simmons basically playing Admiral Satie again. It's just like, yes, 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 yes. And I, it's, I highly recommend it. Go ahead and watch, <laughs> rewatch Murder, She Wrote. There are 12 fucking seasons of this excellent show. Wait, isn't Gene Simmons, is Gene Simmons the guy from Kiss? Who, no, no, who no. Who am I thinking of? I mean, I mean, Gene Simmons, J-E-A-N. Oh. <laughs> she played, remember the episode, The Drumhead? TNG. All right. She was the the like gorgeous older admiral with that like amazing cut dress that was uh evil. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I just needed to get that off my chest right now. It was really important for me to say. But now I can introduce our very special guest. I'm so excited. He is a Tony nominated writer. Yes. Is that, that is correct? True. That is oh my god! Uh, and a current writer and co-executive producer on Star Trek Discovery. We're both from the same hometown, Ithaca, New York. And I saw his name in the credits of Disco this year, and I was like, "Okay, <laughs> what the hell?" <laughs> Kyle Jero is with us today. Hey, woo! Yay! Hey, it's good to be here. Hey, guys! Just so excited to have you on. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited to be here, and we have not seen each other for probably at least 20 years. So at least that's I amazing. Know. Yeah. Have you been back to Ithaca much? Well, not not since the pandemic, because I have young kids, and we kind of haven't wanted to fly because yeah. one of them's too young to get vaccinated. So I guess it's been probably almost three years, almost maybe more, since I've been back to yeah. Ithaca. Yeah. How about you? Do Is you go your... back? You're on the East Coast, so maybe it's easier to get back. Yeah, my sister and brother-in-law and nephew moved back to Ithaca during the pandemic. Oh, wow. To be near my parents. And so they were all together. I was really jealous. And I've been able to be <laughs> back a couple times just because over the past year I've been on the road uh, with an artist. So we've been nearby and like... Oh, that's nice. ...been able to get through Ithaca. But being back in Ithaca has... It's... Man... It's a trip. It's a trip. Did you guys live like downtown type area or like we lived like 20 minutes outside of Ithaca, like middle of nowhere. Um, Brookendale. Yeah, I almost Caroline. Yeah. Yeah. My parents live like right down the street from Caroline Elementary. Oh, wait, really? Oh, my God. So yeah. our parents are actually really neighbors. We, <laughs> yeah. my parents live off of Snyder, Snyder Hill Road. Snyder Hill? Right before it hit 79. So like basically oh my God. right there. They live like five like, minutes drive from each other, I think. Yeah. Oh, that is so bonkers. Yeah. That's so weird. <laughs> yep. Yep. Wait, did you go to Caroline? Yeah. Yeah. We went to the same. Wait, that means that we went to elementary school together. That's true. We would have, right? Because I guess I'm four years ahead of you in school, right? Yeah. So yeah. you would have been... I guess in first grade when I was in fifth grade. 
or no yeah 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 wow yeah oh we were in elementary school together yeah how weird is that (laughs) this is really cute it's so yeah pretty wild do you remember that place munchies yes I do. I, I just want I, to say that calling a place munchies is just hilarious to me, which I didn't realize until much later in life, but <laughs> I don't think it's there anymore. It's like yep. self-storage now or something, right? Yeah, it, it's not a restaurant anymore. It was a strange spot for a restaurant. It was, yeah. Lauren, this was a place where um, it was called Munchies, and it wasn't really a sit-down place. It was kind of like you went up and you could order like ice cream or hot dogs or whatever, and then they had like picnic tables but it was in the most random place just on the highway in the kind of the middle of nowhere. Um, yeah. But it was there a bunch of years and we would go. I remember my family would go and we would get like soft serve ice cream. Ah, uh, gotcha. Was that really was the, the only shit. place near our house at all that was like that you could get food. Yeah, there was it was like that or like you have to drive to East Hill well, Plaza. See there, yeah, it yeah, served, which it served was like purpose. 15 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we both grew up in like the outskirts yeah. of the Ithaca oh area. Gosh. I mean, it is like pretty rural out there for sure. It really is. That's got to be pretty surreal then, Larissa, for you to be just watching one of your favorite shows and then to have this name pop up in the credits and have one of those moments where you're like, what? Uh, the, that Kyle? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised that you even re- remembered my name, honestly. Absolutely. did. I like. I saw your name and I was like, oh, my God, I know him. No, wait, did you know my sister? Because she's a little closer to your age. She would have probably been a year younger than you, maybe. Yes, she was. My sister is two years younger than me. So Mm. my sister, then Heather, then me, then Tate. Wow, you know everyone's names. This is like amazing. I do. I went to school with all of these people. I know, but I don't know your... And you have an older sister, too, you said. No, 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 no. no, Just just the younger younger sister. sister. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's so funny. When you said she had kids... I assumed she was older, which is totally, there was no reason to assume that. Yep. She's the, she acts like the older sibling. (laughs) There we go. Traditionally, like the older sibling, she has a a family and a house and they're renovating it. And I'm just here in Nashville in my weird room. I don't like the use of the word just in that sentence. I'll dispute that. (laughs) But, but anyway. I'm doing okay. I, I, I think I'm doing okay. You're doing great. Also, by the way, someone who has two two young kids, like, it's wonderful. Lauren knows this, too. It's wonderful. Also, there are a lot of wonderful things about your life that I think we probably are both envious of. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I had my second kid during the pandemic, too. They just turned 15 months. Oh, wow. So that's like a whole oh, new level God. of, oh, yeah. Wow. Pandemic <laughs> baby. Oh, that is wild. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Not a true pandemic baby. I got pregnant right before the pandemic. And then Got it. we okay, had the, so the shutdown. of the pandemic. Right. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't like, oh, we don't have anything to do. We just have a toddler running around. Um, Can I just say, I know multiple people who made that decision during the pandemic. And really? I was like, I that feels like the opposite decision right? to make during an apocalyptic pandemic. Well, but, and here's, yeah. I, and the, yeah. I was pregnant with my first child during Zika, Zika. I don't even know how to pronounce it anymore. Oh, yeah. But, Zika. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like, I think every time I get pregnant, I don't plan on getting having another kid, but something goes wrong with the world. Oh, good. Yeah, please don't. Because Use that as inspiration for a new episode. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Oh, my um, God. Yeah. Oh God. Well, I have a question. If I can yeah. just kind of start us off on Star Trek talk. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay, so let's Kyle. Talk about, let's talk about Trek. First of all, well, first of all, I want to say, Kyle, like, I'm, I'm very excited because I see you've you've oh my gosh you write for shows you conceptualize shows like valor that's on netflix you've worked with the spongebob squarepants with the spongebob musical and got nominated for that book right um correct yeah 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 and so now you're on star trek so you've obviously covered like many genres but can you again for our listeners and for me honestly tell me what your title is and like what that means Oh, yeah, sure. Um, so uh, I'm a co-executive producer, which I know is sounds like what what does that mean? Yeah, right? it's a very weird term. So in television writing, writers are also producers. It's just the way the industry has developed. And, and what that means is that like, uh, let's say like on a movie, right? The boss on a movie is the director. Like the writer of the screenplay often isn't even on set for a movie, right? Like mm-hmm. the director's the boss. 
in television, writers are the boss. So if you create a television show and and if you're the showrunner of a television show, which means that you're the person, you're the boss, those are always writers. So television writers are expected to write and produce. Oh. And because of that, because of that tradition and, and that way of the industry working, there's basically a bunch of different titles that describe what level of writer you are seniority wise, um, which affects like how much you get paid and also affects, you know, to some extent, not how much control you have, but maybe but like really how much seniority, whatever commitment to the show. Um, sure. Yeah. It's just, it's more like, um, in like a corporate structure, like, are you a vice president or are you like a manager? You know what I mean? So co-executive producer is like the second highest level. And then the highest level is executive producer. So I think you could look at an executive producer maybe as being like a, if you imagine the showrunner of the show who would be an executive producer, but is like the top one. Uh, in our case, it's this amazing uh, writer named Michelle Paradise. That is her real last name. Yeah. So she awesome. <laughs> she would be imagine that she's like the CEO, and then like the other executive producers and co-executive producers would be like vice presidents. I guess would be a way to think about it. What it really functionally means is that I'm um, a writer on the show, but I'm one of the more senior writers on the show. Okay, so you're involved. I mean, we watched an episode that I guess you was like written by you um, fully, which was the examples from season four. Um, but you are involved with all the writing and the, the episodes to some extent. Would that be fair That's to say? That's correct. Okay. That's 100% correct. But that's actually true of all the writers. So, okay. Okay. Little, little, little fun fact. Back in the, back in like the 90s, right? So, like um, TNG era, D Space Nine, right? Back then, those shows, as I'm sure you guys know, did a ton of episodes per season, right? Usually like yeah. in the upper 20s, right? Yeah. That was an older model of TV. And in that model of TV, there was often a writer's room, which was like the sort of core writers, and they would come up with a lot of the storylines and they would write most of the episodes. But they had to make so many episodes that other people could come in and pitch ideas and then get hired to write just one episode, right? So they were so kind of like freelancers. Of, yes, Sorry to interrupt. Free, exactly. Yeah, they're yeah. called freelance episodes. And they also had that open call thing for a while yeah. too, where yes. they were just like accepting stories from like fans, which is yes. so cool and yeah. cute. That's so what cool. that's what Measure of a Man was. Remember that was that woman's like first script, and she was a lawyer. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's like so. Yeah, so that and they had so many episodes that they had to do each season that that it really opened up room for that. So that model, not just by the way in Trek, but in all of TV, that model has really gone yeah. away. Um, and so now on most TV shows, there is a writer's room and the, those writers also write all the episodes. Occasionally, one script will get freelanced, but um, not, on, not on our show. Um, and, and that's relatively rare in the industry now. Mm. So the way it works on Discovery and, and most TV shows now is that you have a writer's room with however many writers that is. It's usually between like six and 12 um, those people come up with all the stories together. So literally like on discovery right now, because we're still a little bit in the pandemic, it's on zoom. We're literally all on zoom, all these faces and we're throwing around story ideas and brainstorming and coming up with like the arcs for the characters and blah, blah, blah. Then individual writers or sometimes pairs of writers get assigned particular episodes to write. But even on the episode that you are writing, the idea and the story of the episode are still being developed with the input of those other writers. So really what I'm saying is it's an extremely collaborative art mm -hmm. form. And really mm -hmm. all of the episodes are created by everybody. The credit that you see written by is really honestly the person who wrote the first draft of the script. Mm. But even when they were writing that first draft, the story that they were writing and even the structure of that story was developed by the whole room. 
And that is mm. typical of most TV shows now and definitely true of Star Trek Discovery. So by which I'm just saying like it yeah, I wrote that episode, but like what that really means is like I wrote the first draft of that episode. Do you know what I mean? And like yes. Yes. And, and like then the showrunner does a rewrite on it and like I you know it that's also very common. So it it's I guess what I'm really doing is letting you behind the curtain of all of TV, which is that when you see a yeah. writing credit for an episode, it yes, it means that that writer wrote the first draft and really had their hands on it. But there's a whole lot of other writers who were involved in the making of that episode whose names are not after the written by. So credit. you mean these writers aren't just sitting alone in a hotel room with a typewriter by themselves <laughs> and just writing the final thing alone with their glasses on and then handing in their piece of paper? Not. But I think most people think that that is the case. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's interesting. I will say for Trek fandom, or maybe I think this is true of any series with, with a, a deep fandom, sometimes it can be tough for the individual writers because if somebody doesn't like something in an episode, they'll come after that writer. But a lot of times that writer maybe didn't even choose to do that particular story element. It was developed with a room of writers. So sometimes it can be really tough because a poor writer is trapped trying to defend something that, not that they didn't believe in it, but it's not like it was their unilateral yes. decision. So I, yeah. it's interesting. I think it's there is a general misunderstanding in the public about how TV writing credits work. But it's understandable because, like, when it says written by, like, of course you think that, like, a novel that says yeah. written by somebody, like, that person did sit in a hotel room and write it. But in TV, it's, it's very different. What I'll say about that, though, is it's kind of wonderful because writing can be such a lonely pursuit and there's something wonderful and really exciting about being in a room of people who are all writers and throwing around story ideas and, and having it be this push-pull and like, I have a thought and you build on that thought and whatever. So that's one of the really cool things about how television works is is that process. I love that. I love that. I actually have a, a, I have a question, yeah. which is, so... The change in in like the way that the writer's room and writer's credits works, when I think about that, I think about how TV used to be more self-contained within episodes and yeah. there weren't yes. as many like long arcs. So like when you look at a show like Discovery, you're really looking at a show that tells a longer story over the course of a season as opposed yeah. to a small story and then everything's reset. Like Lauren and I yeah. talk about this a lot with TNG and with Voyager specifically that like he watched the show and then like nobody ever talks about Tuvix again, you know, <laughs> yeah. like he's just yeah. gone and, and that's it. But when you get to a show like deep space nine, that starts to change. Uh, and that I feel like when I think about longer story arcs, I think about deep space nine as kind of changing that, uh, paradigm for the franchise of Star Trek, they started to actually tell a longer story. And then that longer story was not just in seasons. It was like the whole fucking show was like yeah, a huge yeah. bonker story. Do you feel like that kind of shift? I feel like television around that time, that's when it kind of started shifting from being like adventure of the week to like the show is a thing. Like it's the Sopranos. It's like, it's not Seinfeld, you know? Yeah, yeah. I no, I think that's right. I mean, there were there are some structural reasons that it happened. Like, you know, those the those track series, I think including Deep Space Nine, well, you know what, I, I may get this slightly wrong, but I know that like TNG was a syndicated show, which basically me meant that it was produced and then sold to different mm. networks to air. And so I don't even know that all the episodes aired in the same order. Mm, on like every yeah. like do you know what i'm saying yeah and that was like, the beauty of it of selling a network like here's a bunch of episodes so i think that was one of the reasons that you you literally like couldn't tell a serialized story because you couldn't even be sure that like that the, the, the episodes would play out yeah. the way you intended right? you weren't sure yeah. your audience was going to actually pop in and in a way that was going to make it sense so yeah it's like i remember watching yeah. 
back to back episodes of any program and it would be like well if you watch it at 4 30 it's season two episode 13 but then if you come back at 5 30 yes. it's season five episode but it was okay because you could literally just pop in and watch a little 45 minute story that was self-contained and there was an even bigger reason which was that back then if you missed an episode there was no way to see it Right. Yes, yeah. yes. No one had DVR. No one had TiVo. If you guys remember what TiVo was. <laughs> oh, we're old. But you know what I'm saying. So, it, so if you missed, <laughs> if you missed an episode of TNG, like you missed that episode. Like maybe it would air again, like next year. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you really, it would be really kind of mean to the audience to require them to have seen every episode. I think by the time DS9 came around, it, I believe it was still in syndication. And so I sort of feel like they split the difference a little bit, which is that they told these long arc stories, but also mm-hmm. you could sort of drop into a DS9 episode and like you might be a little confused about like some of the relationships, but you could still get a really close-ended story that would give you like a satisfying episode and I think as an audience member you wouldn't sort of feel like what the hell is happening here right yeah. well that's yeah. how I kind of felt dropping into your episode because I mean I've I yeah. was <laughs> talking to Larissa and Kyle like I've only seen guys listeners out there you know because of a three-year-old and a one-year-old I haven't really been able to take in discovery so I've seen like literally three or four episodes oh yeah you're probably so confused <laughs> Well, there was like the, what is it? The initials for the dark matter anomaly, the DMA. And I'm like, what the fuck was the DMA? Um, oh, but then I looked, totally missed that. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, oh, okay. I could figure it out. Oh, you know, I could be like, all right, gotcha. Big well, threat. Wait, no, but but you know, it's raising a good point. But so unfortunately, I can't help you with having a three. No, 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 no. But, no. but, <laughs> but the thing is, if you wanted to, you could instantly go back and access any previous episode of Discovery yes. you want. And that's the world we live in now. And so I think what that's done is it's allowed more serialized storytelling to happen because it there isn't this thing that if you miss an episode, you can never see it. And yes. to be honest, I think most viewers probably do start at the beginning of series. I would guess that's yeah. true of all series, not just Discovery. Mm-hmm. Maybe you sample an episode in season four or whatever, but then I think a lot of times people will go back start at the beginning and like catch up. And so um, that has really changed, I think, the way TV storytelling can work. Again, not just on Trek, but like throughout the ecosystem of TV. Anyway, so you raise a great point, Larissa. Like I think I think that has really changed, but a lot of the reason is just structural about how we consume entertainment now and that you can just like, binge the whole thing at once or go back at the beginning and get caught up. Mm-hmm. But but I will say you still need to create an episode that is satisfying to somebody who doesn't know anything. So like in the examples, there is a bit of a, there's a closed-ended story about this like prison that they have to, so we do still try to give within the serialized storytelling a nice story arc that will give you like, you know, a fulfilling emotional journey as an audience member, even if you don't know, like have a deep knowledge of, of the bigger story. So that's it. That's honestly like a really tough line to walk and we really work hard to, to do it. And I sort of think that that is the challenge of all TV now is like, mm-hmm. you gotta, you mm-hmm. gotta deliver serialized storytelling but can you also make sure that each episode is a satisfying meal in and of itself? Well, so. and just to make sure I didn't give the wrong impression, like I had that experience. Like I I was able to walk in and sure I didn't, I could figure it out. Like this is a threat. And then, yeah, like you said, there was sort of this little nugget of a story within that that 15 minute arc of, yeah, the jail and stuff. And, and I was able to to latch on to that so it's been great because the episodes of discovery i've had to larissa knows this i've had to jump around man i've just been spat in the like the first episode i saw the doctor died okay now he's alive what happened and then i got to see the mirror universe um episode and it's like oh that's a very confusing one to drop into yeah okay but i get it but i get it but that's the point is i get it oh yeah (laughs) full she has missed 
full seasons of character development. Yes. Yeah, but you guys do a really good job of just like those. It's part of a bigger picture, but I'm able to enjoy those episodes still. Oh, I'm glad. I mean, Burnham as a character in particular has changed so yes. much since season one. Like, I can't even imagine just like <laughs> popping in on a season one episode and then going to season four. You'd almost be like, is this the same woman? It's kind but of that's fun, what's though. Great about the show, right? <laughs> like, she's really evolved from like. Yeah mutineer to captain you know it's like what a cool arc to show yeah for a character well and also showing her express emotion in a different way as well yes that's been for me my favorite part of her character is how controlled she was trying to be at the beginning of the series and how like open with her crew she is now how open Mm -hmm. with her her friends and her family about her oh I'm glad yeah that's definitely something we really wanted to explore yeah she's yeah she's opened up as a person yeah for sure Mm -hmm. Kyle can I ask you a quick question before I forget yeah for listeners and for me how long have you been involved with Discovery okay good question I started on season four actually so the season that's airing now and we're currently working on season five which (gasps) I'm also working on oh but now it, it, that won't actually. I don't even know that they've announced when that's going to come out. They have announced that we're doing it, but um, you know, this show with all the VFX, right? It is it it's it's massive and it really takes a long time to produce. So um, uh, so I'm not sure quite when it's going to come out. Uh, yeah. But sometime probably next year, I would assume. Um, yeah. But so uh, you but wait. Yeah. You mean Discovery is not a? It's not a model ship that's shot in front of a <laughs> is it in your garage right now it's, it's, it's yeah i have it right here um no it's you know it's amazing it with I, tiny brushes the other thing is I, I bet you guys don't even think about this but um so like now discovery season three and onward we're in the 32nd century which is the furthest in the timeline that any okay. of the series have been and basically there's hollows everywhere and like yeah all this cool super futuristic stuff but they're all VFX shots, right? Like every hollow, every so yeah. it it really like some of the other tracks that are a little bit earlier in the timeline. There are fewer VFX shots because they're using little like physical pads, or whatever. Ours are all like hollow pads, so it's just it's so much VFX, and our VFX team is unbelievably like incredible. Um, but doing that kind of VFX takes a really long time, so it really. Um, but that's a big part of what makes the show special, but also what, what, uh, you know, if people, if fans are wondering like, why is there so long between seasons? What the heck? That's why, honestly, it's, yeah. you know, takes a while to write and to shoot, but then there's all this amazing VFX work that also has to yeah. be done. I can yeah. say as an illustrator, I totally understand. Cause people are like, you can just do that in like an hour. Right. And it's like, no, yeah. I can't. Oh my God, we've talked about <laughs> I'm going to yeah, need I, at least honest, four I'm days. I'm not really involved in that part of it at all, but, um, but I see their amazing work and I see, but uh, you're a writer. Yeah. So you are, you're like, so that's, that's, that leads to my next question, which is like, so we've talked on, on our uh, podcast about the animated series mm. and what that has been able to do for Trek as far as like, allowing for different kinds of life forms to be yeah. presented on screen for uh like like there was we i forget what was slaver weapon right there was that episode <laughs> of the the yeah. original animated series where there's like a weapon that like every time they push a button on it it changes shape so that's not something that that's easy or simple to do with practical effects right like and this 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 is the original animated series right like this is like old animation so they had the opportunity to like write a show where there was this thing that did this thing that you can't actually make do in the real world so i kind of imagine and you know correct me if i'm wrong but like isn't it kind of cool to be able to like have a vfx team Mm. that's not like you're not saying like make this thing and then they have to like sculpt it out of clay and then like draw on it and then make it a certain, you know, like and figure out how to make it make this lever move or whatever. So it does the thing like they can go into a computer and create something that does the thing that you want them to do. Yeah, I think what you're saying is like doesn't the VFX allows different kinds of storytelling 
than you were yeah. able to do in some of in some of the earlier tracks when those tools didn't exist. You're totally right. Yeah, like like DS9, like if they couldn't build it, like they couldn't show it on the screen. You know what I mean? And like there were limits to you know every alien had to be somebody in prosthetics. Like there could not be a fully CG like creature they just didn't have yeah. that kind of technology back then certainly not the budget of a tv show back then mm-hmm. but yeah now we can do stuff like that so you're right it does open up the kinds of aliens that we can create it does open up the kinds of technology and the kinds of worlds that we can show for sure i will say that it all vfx also costs a lot of money so like it's not that we are completely without limitation but we are less limited for sure than, you know, back in, in the 90s uh, and the early 2000s. So, yeah, we can really let our imaginations run wild in a really cool way. And sometimes, you know, to be honest, sometimes it's like, well, that is a dope idea. But, like, the VFX <laughs> cost of executing that would be crazy. So let's, like, Ridiculous. slightly dial that back. Um, but we never... We never approach story from that perspective. We always approach it from what's the coolest story that we can do. And then we we figure that story out. And then if there are some limitations around, and this, by the way, is also true of all TV shows. Then if there are limitations around like, you know, what, what's affordable VFX wise or how many locations can we realistically go to and things like that. Okay, then you figure out how to take that story and slightly revise it to fit your limitations. But we really try to have a really wide open imagination when we're first going into story. And I think that probably is a little bit different from some of the earlier tracks where there were just things it wasn't even worth thinking about mm-hmm. because there was literally no way that they could have possibly executed it. Um, or they just were given leftovers from Lost in Space in the studio next door, and they <laughs> had to just paint them a different color and use them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. I will say, though, like, I really, I grew up watching TNG, which is maybe what you guys did. That's probably what you yeah. did. I mean, it's, I think it's really age-related, right? So for mm-hmm. me, it was TNG and then and then Deep Space Nine were really sort of my entry point to the, to the franchise. And... You know, going back and watching those episodes now, right? Like, obviously, the VFX are really old school, you know? And, and they're clearly, charming there are, and I love them. They're, I know, but the, yeah, exactly. There's something about it where it's like the storytelling is so good that you just sort of accept it and it doesn't bother you. And I really kind of love that about Classic Trek. And I do think one of the challenges of the new Trek is that we have all of these tools of VFX and and whatever, and that suspension of disbelief is a little harder, right? Like if you're watching DS9, you're suspending disbelief. Okay, that looks like a model, you know, against a black background, but I'm going to just not worry about that. I'm just here for the storytelling. But I think or like that into- goop is Odo. Yeah, <laughs> yes, <laughs> that goop in that bucket is Odo, and I believe it, even though it's definitely- even though it's ridiculous. <laughs> but yeah. but there's something about the photorealism that we can do now with VFX that I do think, um, in a way, it asks the audience to imagine less, if that makes sense. Which and this is not just for Trek, right? Like this is all of filmed entertainment. I do sometimes feel like, man, I think there's a bit of a loss there yeah. that the audience isn't being challenged to use their imagination. I don't think there's anything to be done about it, but it's just so interesting to think about my personal experience watching newer track with photorealistic VFX versus watching DS9, for example. And I find myself more able sometimes to just live in the story of it in the older version, because I'm I'm just sort of like, oh, this is that's what this is. This is a story. You know what I'm saying? It, it I don't definitely know, it's a very complicated. I don't. But that's it's not again not just Trek, right? It's like watching the original Star Wars. Yeah, or, those effects look kind of janky, but you don't oh, yeah. care. You know, it, it you just sort of go along with it. Whereas, like now, mm-hmm. if you're watching Mandalorian or whatever, if a, if a special effect looks janky at all, it really like takes you out of it. You know? Well, talking about Absolutely. practical You're effects. Totally true. Sorry to interrupt, and I hope it's no, okay. They're all practical, yeah. And when you talk about practical effects, do you have 
David Cronenberg is on the show, which was a complete <laughs> shock to me. I didn't even know he acted, uh, but he was in the episode you wrote briefly. Um, he was, that's and I was right. like, he, is he this was, the yeah, same he... guy? But we've talked about him with uh, Voyager's Thresh Threshold episode and body horror and stuff like that. But, I mean, he was like a king of practical effects with the thing and all these things. And Oh, he's amazing. Yeah. He, um, well, so I, he has done some acting. I think he was on the TV show Alias, if you guys remember oh, that. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. I never knew that. Yep. But I, but that's yep. it's certainly not. I mean, like he's a director. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, and and he got involved in the show in season three, which I, it was predated me. But my understanding is that um, Alex Kurtzman, who's one of the creators of Star Trek Discovery, is a huge fan of of David Cronenberg and Discovery Films in Toronto. And I believe that Toronto is Cronenberg's home base, kind of. So, I think they were like. He's amazing. We're fans of him. Pretty sure he spends a lot of time in this town where we shoot. Like, why don't we just ask if he would be on the show? I, That's I awesome. Think, I'm not sure. Again, I wasn't there, but I think it was kind of that simple. Yeah. And he was like, I like Star Trek. Like, great. And he is so. Oh my God, I love it. He is so good. And can I just tell you, such a wonderful person and so professional. A lot Aww. of non-actors have trouble remembering their lines or like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. He shows up on set, knows every single word. In my episode, he has this like epic long monologue. Yeah. First take. He had every word. Like it and I, that is actually Dude. really amazing and surprising. Okay. Um so he's That's he's really such a pro, impressive. such a good person for someone as famous and accomplished as him. Again, I barely, I barely interacted with him because of COVID. I didn't get to go to set, which I'm really sad because I'm a huge fan of his. But you know when they say, yeah. like, don't meet your heroes? Like, yeah. This is a hero to meet. He's such a good guy. Like, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. And just so humble. Yeah. And, like, I'm here to, like, shoot a scene in a TV show. And I know all my lines. And I'm ready to go. You would not yeah. even know that he was this rock star director. You know yeah. I mean? It's oh really kind of – it's really actually – really inspiring and nice to see and he did so good i love it i have a two o'clock and he just goes away in the, in the yeah, episode he's, yeah <laughs> he's honestly he's, he's just kind of the greatest i wanted to talk to you because i you know larissa's a creative she's a musician and a composer i'm a creative as an illustrator and you're a creative as a writer and a musician and you know they always say like write what you know and i'm really curious if COVID and the pandemic and all those unique experiences that you guys are experiencing are influencing your writing and any of the episodes that you're doing for um, discovery or, or if it's just like, you know, there's a plan and we're just sticking to it. Um, well, I mean, listen, I think when you're a writer um, or any artist, whatever you're living through is always going to find its way into the work. It's almost just sort of inevitable, like whether or not you consciously intended to, I think right. it, just, it, it happens. Um, you know, the tricky thing is that if you write too much to the moment, by the time the show airs, right, the moment may have shifted, especially right. now we're living in this like crazy, like roller coaster of a time, right? So um, when we were writing season four, uh, it was basically the beginning of the pandemic. Mm. Uh, we were writing most of the season before the election as well, before the 2020 election. So, you know, if we had written like super like bad version, which we would have done, but if we had had like, say, a presidential election, by the time the, the you know, the series aired, the season aired, excuse me, we would have been long past it. So it would have felt like sort of dated. You know what I mean? Or I just um, didn't know if it was like, you know, if you're just feeling like I want an episode where one of the characters is 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 weighted down by two small creatures that constantly want its attention or <laughs> you know it's like as a parent <laughs> or saying. you know like i i can yeah, understand I where it's like those personal I'd say that more general stuff for sure um i will say about season four in particular um you know it's about the dma which is this sort of like unknown um or initially un not you know poorly understood threat that and that's like this massive it's a dark matter anomaly, right? Correct? Just to make sure yes. if listeners don't yes, know what I'm we're sorry, talking the about. Dark matter anomaly, yes. Okay. 
Um, there is no question that that was influenced by COVID, by this feeling oh. of, uh, and, and I'm not saying that it was like an explicit metaphor. Sure. But certainly while we were writing this, we were dealing with, at that time, a, an unknown disease, right? That like, yeah. remember, like people were wiping down their groceries and stuff. Like we didn't know. Um, I was. Yeah. And so, and, and the other yep. thing is, I, I think season four is a lot about grief, to be honest. Like, I think that's a theme that is really, um, you know, has really sort of emerged. And I that also, I don't think was really something that we necessarily meant to bake in. But as we were writing the season, grief was just everywhere. So many people were lost to COVID. And of course, you know, anyway, no spoilers, but um, for folks who haven't watched it, but like, there's certainly some reasons organically that grief would figure into the the storyline. But I just think that that theme of grief and how you deal with grief um, is, again, not something that we explicitly like plan to get in there. But because we were all living yeah. that, I think it just kind of infused the writing. So point being, I, you know, I think Trek and sci-fi in general Mm -hmm. is a wonderful way to speak to the moment that we're in, but through this like slightly removed lens, right? Like I think that's what something people have always loved about it because of the lag time between like writing it and, and it airing, it's tough to get super topical, but when it comes to sort of more general feelings about the moment that the world is in, I think that's something Trek has always done a great job of speaking to. And that's definitely something that it has infused itself into discovery this season, at least yeah. for sure. That is, I mean, that's what I love about Star Trek. That very thing is what I love about it. What has kept me in Star Trek. And I, I really do feel what you were just describing that, that, uh, Grief is a character in this season. Yeah. Uh, and the way that all of our characters interact with grief is the is so uh, wrapped up in the storytelling. It's it's very beautiful watching all of because everyone responds to it in such different ways. And I'm brilliant. I'm. Oh, I'm so glad that's coming yeah. through. Yeah. It's funny. Like, yeah. again, like we. I don't, it's not that we didn't know that grief was, wasn't going to be part of the story, but I do think the extent to which it, it, to my mind, has emerged over the course of the season is kind of what the season is about in some ways is really interesting. And again, I just think it's because of what we all as writers were going through, you know, in the world that we were living in as we were making it. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and it's interesting, like, I I too love track because of the way it speaks to the world that we're in. And that's been true since like TOS, right? Like mm -hmm. in some sci-fi series, other, there are others that do it. And then there are others that don't like star Wars, for example, I think is really not particularly interested in talking about the world we're in. And that's fine, right? It's an escapist entertainment. It's more interested in that and sort of like action yeah. adventure. And certainly Give there's us more baby Yoda and that's baby what Yoda. we want. Give us Baby Yoda. We want more Baby Yoda. Yeah, which is great. You know what I mean? But like, <laughs> I do think Star Trek has always, and not that there's not action adventure and particularly in Discovery there is, but um, but there's always been a different thing on the mind for Star Trek, which is like, how does this story resonate with the world that we're in now? And I also oh, think God. like, I mean, I'm sure this isn't lost on, on anyone who watches Discovery, there's also a real effort in terms of representation on camera and making sure that the show is diverse and continues the tradition that TOS started of like breaking some social um, barriers in terms of casting and storylines. So, you know, that to me is another thing that I just find really inspiring about Star Trek um, is that it, it, I don't know. It's always sort of aspired to do that. And we try to do that on Discovery too, which is a long way of saying that I think it's kind of nice that this is a, a season about grief because I think probably most people watching it are dealing with grief in various ways and PTSD about the pandemic and like 
maybe the show can allow people to work through that a little bit. And I think that would be a wonderful gift to give to the audience. I'm appreciating it. Larissa, I think you and I have enough time for one question each. I don't know if you have one or. Yeah, I'm so sorry. I, I oh, what yeah. I actually have to do when I get off is go into the writer's room. I'm All right. Oh, <laughs> so excited. Okay. I just want to pitch some sort of space being <laughs> that every time they get pregnant, they cause like the gravitational pull of a planet oh. to like, yeah. <laughs> Let real life inspire discovery. Yeah. I'm just putting that out in the world. <laughs> I love it. Um, I, my, my thing was there. I sometimes feel like, uh, growing up in Ithaca made my love of Star Trek deeper because of the, the community in Ithaca and the way that Ithaca is like Hmm. Ithaca is an aspirational place. Like the culture in Ithaca, people are trying to be better. People are trying to do a better job. Um, at least that's how I always felt. When I, was I think you up. have a different experience of Ithaca than I had, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which Did not, you wait, not have that experience at all? Uh, my my parents are um, pretty politically conservative. Um, so oh, I think okay. I think you're sort of speaking probably to the like very progressive values of Ithaca in general. Yeah. But that was not really my experience of it. Um I mean, in some ways, just because there's a little bit of that baked into the town, but I think my sort of home experience was was different from that. But but I definitely hear what you're saying that Ithaca, in general, it's a college town. It is. It has a very progressive reputation. That's definitely true. Yeah, yeah, and like you know, little things like you remember Ithaca Bucks. Yes, yes. Although is that that's not a thing anymore, is it? I don't know if it's a thing anymore. But Ithaca, they were actually called Ithaca their... Hours, Larissa. Oh, Ithaca Hours. Yes. They, it was like their own currency, but it was like you work for, it was like you you didn't have to like. The idea was, was that diff- every hour of work should be worth the same amount. So the idea was that an oh. Ithaca Hour, I forget what it was worth or whatever, 20 bucks or something. So it was like you yeah. would pay for things with Ithaca Hours and it was supposed to be like, so let's say I bought like a piece of pottery. I, I would pay you however many hours that pottery took to make, right? Oh, wow. Okay, um, that's interesting. Which is an interesting idea. It's like a very sort of utopian idea of like all work should be equivalent. But it was, yes, of course, instantly perverted. And I, I remember seeing yeah. like, God, I think it was like my friend was telling me their therapist took Ithaca hours. But it was like six Ithaca hours for one hour of therapy. One hour. And I was like, this system is already broken now because that's, that's the exact that's so opposite of the point of what this is. Yeah, that's not what we mean. Hey, that's not what Kyle, we mean. if you're about to go in the writing room, yeah. I mean, you got to take this idea with you. This definitely sounds like something that needs to be explored with an alien civilization. Really, yeah, but you're right. There was a real progressive... Um, I don't. I can't speak to now, but certainly when we were growing up, there was a a real yeah, sense yeah. in Ithaca about trying to 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 embrace progressive values. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, that's definitely my experience because, like, I I come from a very progressive family and it, a a mixed cultural family. That I mean, I saw myself represented on Trek for the first time when I was a kid. You know, a, Miles O'Brien and Keiko Molly. O'Brien. Yeah, yeah, they looked yeah. like my family, you know, so it, it felt like home uh, and, you know, then leaving Ithaca and realizing like that the world was much scarier um, than Ithaca was. It I I always kind of felt like Ithaca was this enterprise in a way wow. uh, for me, at least. Yeah, that's um, deep. it was it was that it was a safe place to be. Well, and that I would be seen and understood there. I, I will say that I think that's probably true of a lot of Trek fans that they they looked and, and continue to look at the series, see themselves reflected there. And it does feel like a safe space that is somewhat utopian, too. Right. Like we're in a post scarcity society. And um, yeah, I think that is one of the wonderful things about Trek. It is aspirational as a series. 100 um, percent. And I will also say that, like, maybe this is just my friends. I don't know. But, like, when I took the job on Discovery, 
I was really surprised at the friends of mine who are big fans of the show um, are mostly my friends of color. Like, mm-hmm. I really think there's something about Discovery in particular. You know, we have a black female captain, right? Like, I think big that deal. there's a lot of people who, um, you know, really see themselves reflected into the series. And, and in that way, it's been their gateway drug into Trek as a franchise. And I'm just really proud to get to be part of that. Like, I think that's really special, you know? Yes. Well, I have Yay. I have one last question for me. Yeah, and, and it, it. It's all right. Very simple. Do you have a favorite character or just a character you would love to write more for? Oh, on on Discovery. On, on Discovery, yes. <laughs> well, what or tough... any Star Trek. Okay, character. we'll open it up. Yeah. Can we expand it? We will. Do you have or a favorite any, Star any Trek any Star Trek character? Sure. I, I, Cisco. Cisco. Uh, I, I, you know, I if I could, you know, if I could have written for for that character, I just. Cool. Uh, just what a great character. What a great actor. Such a weird actor, too. Like, but it's like somehow yeah. works. Um, yes. Yeah. Really, really, it would be Cisco, hands down. Yeah. One of our past guests did the best Cisco it. impersonation. It was great. Oh, I wish I, not, I could. Too. No way. Yes. Our holiday episode was Joy to Bejor, the yeah. That's has amazing. Come. I also love how Cisco, like in the first season, looks completely different than he does in like the later. Se- it's the, it's like you're like, is this even? And they finally let him shave yeah. his head. Yes, yeah. they were just like, do you do you, man? Um, it's yes. it's kind of amazing. Um, I love it. I love that choice. I have to say I goodbye. It. Yeah, it's been a pleasure talking to you guys, Larissa. It's been nice Thank seeing you, you so after much. twenty years. I know. Ugh. I'm gonna like keep like emailing you and. Please do stay yep. in touch. Just yeah, prepare. it's really been nice yes. with you guys. I've really enjoyed the chat, and um, I hope that you and the rest of your listeners will um, watch the rest of the season. Um, episode eleven of Discovery season four is airing, I believe, tonight, or maybe it dropped at midnight this previous night. Ooh. And then we've got two more episodes. So um, you know, if you haven't watched, please catch up. And um, yeah, the season. Uh, finale is in two weeks. So, yeah. oh my gosh! Yeah. And Kyle, I look forward to yeah. talking to you more when I see more discovery. <laughs> yeah, awesome! <laughs> really nice to meet you guys. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much, okay. Kyle. Take care. Bye. bye. Okay. Bye. Find us in the collective at intothewormhole.show, on Instagram at intothewormhole.podcast. Into the Wormhole is brought to you by We Own This Town. That goop in that bucket is Odo, and I believe it, even though it's definitely not.